You are listening to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. everybody and welcome to the 20th yes the 20th episode of the coffeehouse classical music podcast my name is asa and i'm allison and today we have one of my favorite romantic or post-romantic pieces uh, by english composer rafe von williams now what might that be it is a sea symphony, and for those taking notes out there, it's sea like an ocean, not a symphony in the key of sea. And this was the first symphony that Rafe von Williams wrote. So first, a little bit about the composer himself. Rafe von Williams is yet another romantic, or maybe per post-romantic composer, who lived right around the turn of the 20th century. Born in 1872, he is really thought of as one of the leaders to establish a modern British composition style. Coming onto the scene just after one of the first influential modern English composers, Edward Elgar. He began his early music training with one of his aunts in the countryside, and he eventually made it to the Royal College of Music. And there he studied with other prominent English composers such as Charles Villers Stanford, who also is a modern British music champion along with Elgar. While Von Williams was at the College of Music, he became very good friends with Gustav Holst, a name you probably recognize from the Planet Suite. Oh, yes. And they served as each other's support group and friend group and gentle critics of each other's works until Holst's death. So you can draw some parallels here in the in these composers' advancement of British music to some Russian composers' advancement of Russian music, and we've talked a little bit about this in past episodes of The Coffee House. And just like those composers, despite being fully invested in creating and promoting a distinctly British sound, Vaughn Williams spent a lot of time learning about the world, studying in many other places around Europe, like with Max Bruch in Germany and Ravel in Paris, much like how the Russian composers moved around, studied in France and Germany to meld these two styles into something unique. But still feeling a deep sense of nationalism, of course, here at the turn of the 20th century, Von Williams volunteered to serve in the field ambulance service in Flanders during World War I, kind of putting his composition aside for a while. And this wartime experience as it would most people, deeply affected him. He was struck by the carnage and the loss of valuable life that he witnessed, and the emotions and beliefs that grew out of that experience influenced his musical writing as it influenced many other turn-of-the-century writers, composers, authors, all these sorts of, like, people in the arts took so much from World War I and the horrors that they witnessed while serving. After the war, Von Williams became a professor at the Royal College of Music, and he also was a conductor at the Leith Hill Music Festival in England, which is an annual and very important musical event there in England. And he held that position for just shy of 50 years, so he was really an embodiment of what the festival stood for, and it really helped him secure his place as a national music figure. And after witnessing yet another world war, 
Rafe Vaughn Williams died in 1958. So let's talk a little bit about his compositional style, what makes Rafe Vaughn Williams' music uniquely British. So like so many other composers we've talked about previously, Vaughn Williams took a great interest in reviving folk songs of his country, and this ties in a lot with the, the themes that we've spoken extensively about of nationalism, especially in music around the turn of the 20th century. And so his interest in bringing folk songs into the public eye can really be heard in many of his songs and suites that he wrote, such as the famous and aptly named English Folk Song Suite. But he didn't limit himself to only folk songs. He enjoyed creating his own wonderful melodies as well, as demonstrated by his many dramatic and visionary works, like the very well-known Lark Ascending for solo violin. Now, many early critics of his work, and even himself retrospectively, remarked on the, quote, amateurish technique of his early works. And in the beginning of his career, Vaughn Williams did flounder a little bit with what to compose, and perhaps how to compose it, before turning to folk songs and the works of Elizabethan-era composers, as exemplified in another very popular piece, Fantasia on a Theme of Thomas Tallis. Which is one of my favorite pieces. <laughs> so we keep mentioning that Vaughn Williams was a champion of the British musical style at the turn of the century, but what really was that style? Like, what does that really mean? What makes his style sound very British instead of, say, Germans with their immense orchestration or the Russians with their almost exotic sounding harmonies? What makes the British have a distinct sound? Now, this is actually very difficult to nail down, more so than our discussion of the Russian national sound. Now, part of that is because of Britain's history of exploration and colonization. Like America, Britain is thought of as a large melting pot of cultures due to its extensive colonial history. And so the sounds of British music are very worldly and very much an amalgamation of several other cultures. So when you mix this worldliness with the newly rediscovered folk traditions and Renaissance works, you get sounds with pastoral melodies that most of these turn-of-the-century British composers are known for, which is mixed with unique orchestration and harmony. And Vaughn Williams really was quite a master of that, as we've been saying. And his Sea Symphony, even though it's relatively one of his earlier works, it still shows a lot of his developed British-sounding techniques that he used throughout his career. The Sea Symphony, Symphony No. 1 by Rafe Vaughn Williams, was completed in 1909 as a massive work for full orchestra and chorus. The text the chorus sings throughout is from poetry written by Walt Whitman, his Leaves of Grass in the movements 1 to 3, and Passage to India in the fourth movement. In this podcast, we're going to be giving you a sampling of the variety of musical writing styles and techniques that the symphony has to offer. And then we're also going to go into a few more specific compositional aspects that make this piece special and noteworthy. The movements all have very descriptive titles, drawn, of course, from the text that's being sung. The music that accompanies each of these titles is really quite evocative of certain moods and scenes throughout the piece. 
So let's start with movement one, a song for all seas, all ships. Now this movement has an iconic introduction with a brass fanfare followed by the entire chorus proclaiming, Behold the Sea! hear a melody that could be thought of as a sea shanty, which is a common sound that Vaughn Williams portrayed throughout the work to evoke the sailors and maybe even pirates on the seas. The second movement is entitled On the Beach at Night Alone, and it's far more wistful than the first. The orchestration at the beginning has ebb and flow like gentle waves washing up on the beach and fading away. sound. You can easily imagine that along with the waves and the soft sand dampening any footsteps, that there's a clear sky above with a multitude of stars, and the chorus sings about these visions. As the metaphorical musical tide rises throughout the movement, you can imagine perhaps climbing up on some cliffs by the sea, and finally towards towards the end of the movement, a grand triumphant wave is splashing dramatically around you before being absorbed back into the sea. Calm of the night again wrapping around you. Von Williams' third movement, entitled Scherzo, The Wave, cleverly follows a traditional symphonic form with the addition of this Scherzo third movement, such as Beethoven was very fond of doing. The chorus and the orchestra in this movement are layered extensively over each other, 
to suggest rolling waves buffeting against a ship. When looking at the scores of this piece, you see each part of the orchestra or chorus has different lengths of swells and decrescendos, hairpin dynamic markings to help create this ever-rolling, roiling sound. Von Williams also puts in a cheeky quotation of the sailor's hornpipe to evoke the sailors speeding around the ship's deck. Explorers is the longest part of the symphony, being almost a standalone work on its own in a very extensive and lengthy performance. <laughs> the text takes us on a journey out of the seas and into the unknown of the universe. The message of this movement is really universality of mankind, and Vaughn Williams kind of takes us from confusion about our purpose. into a joyous understanding. And of course, we have another sea shanty to bring us back to reality. So sometimes throughout the symphony, but in the Explorers specifically, Von Williams' orchestration of the chorus seems less about adding meaning through the text and lyrics than it is about the sound that the vocalists add to the ensemble. At times, it's somewhat difficult to understand the specific text that is coming through the dense and the powerful sound of the orchestra, but the effect the chorus adds is another essential timbre to what Von Williams wanted, and it lends depth and power beyond what just the strings and winds can provide alone. So speaking of voice, as one commonly does when one writes for voice, Von Williams uses text painting, which is when the words that are being sung match the sound that is being made or the idea being invoked. This is particularly seen in movements two and three. So in movement two, we hear the solo baritone voice singing the beginning all alone by themselves. As the movement is titled On the Beach at Night Alone, 
this really enforces the solitude that you'd be feeling on this beach in Movement 2. In Movement 3, various types of waves are described, from the wakes of ships that are quick and furious, to the currents under the water that are subtle yet strong. The text is describing how they grow and grow before crashing down with the words lifting up their necks. And here, the chorus continually rises higher and higher in range until the vocal wave is crashed down with an actual cymbal crash. the British style is a mixture of older English styles and the sounds of other countries. So we can see how Vaughn Williams embraces this style throughout most of the work. However, there is a pretty prime example of it in the fourth movement. Here, he starts out with the chorus singing in a very modal-sounding melody, and that's very reminiscent of a melancholy song perhaps from Elizabethan England. And then the orchestra takes this melody and changes some of the underlying harmonies to make it sound much more modern and even slightly exotic. And throughout the work, we keep hearing hornpipes, we keep hearing sea shanties, all these things that are evocative of the ocean and of sailors. And all of these melodies are underlined with this dense, powerful orchestration that makes it definitely sound British. And we can draw parallels in this to works of other British composers, such as Gustav Holst, uh, one of the big ones, and, for example, in his very famous Suites for Military Band, all, even when they're marches, they're very densely written underneath these very song-like, recognizable melodies. So really what sticks in my mind as we listen to this piece is the absolute stunning and complete power of the work. Like, it has this whole huge orchestra with chorus and also soloists performing at once, and it really just comes around you and immerses you within the ocean that it's describing. Right. Allison, you and I had the distinct pleasure of performing this work with the Colorado State University Symphony Orchestra just a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. And that's really my biggest memory. While I can't necessarily remember specifics of the performance experience, I just remember especially just as I thought uh, when I was a small child and I saw the ocean for the first time, <laughs> I beheld the sea. just, And it was just as powerful as the opening sounds of the first movement would suggest and the whole work it just enveloped me 
even as a performer, I didn't get to hear it from the like our performance from the audience. But it was it was quite the experience. Mm-hmm. It was lengthy, but it was amazing. And I think that sometimes the length is something that might turn people off from listening to this work, but I think since it was written in a relatively modern time, it's very accessible to people. Yes. People can relate to the sea, like even if they live in a landlocked area, and state, it makes or sense. country. It makes sense, doesn't it, that one of the signature English works would be about the ocean. <laughs> it does indeed. <laughs> and so I think that kind of also helped Von Williams really capture what he wanted this to sound like because he was familiar with the sea being surrounded by it his entire life. So we really hope that you've enjoyed our discussion this week of Rafe Vaughn Williams' A Sea Symphony, uh, one of my favorite works. Allison, I think it's safe to say it's one of your favorite works, right? Yes, it definitely is. Certainly one of the most memorable performance experiences that both of us have had. So we hope that you've enjoyed this. Thank you very much for listening to the 20th episode of the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My, this is a milestone, isn't it? It is indeed. Thank you so much to all of our faithful listeners. I'm Allison. And I'm Asa. And we hope that you will join us next time. Bon Williams' Sea Symphony was performed live by the University of Chicago Symphony Orchestra, the University of Chicago Chorus, Motet Choir, the Grand Prairie Singers, Kimberly Jones, and Thomas Hall, all conducted by Barbara Schubert. You can find The Coffeehouse on iTunes and Google Play. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Like us on Facebook to share episode links with your friends, and email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com.